Welcome into Tailgate. Austin Gale here with Mike Renner in sunny Indianapolis live. How was your night last night? We stayed out until like 2. It was kind of a brutal scene, honestly. I like how you asked how my night was and then just like described. I mean, how was your then. night? We didn't hang out the good. entire time. Uh, we didn't hang out the entire time. It was a good night. It was a good fun. night? Yeah. Any highlights? Combine. Uh, let's see. Highlights. Talk to Shrine Bowl director Eric Elko, friend of the pod. It was, that was a good conversation we had. Nice. I was talking to some guys with the Atlanta Falcons, talking to some guys with the Ravens. Got some interesting stuff. I'm excited to name disclose all name. that stuff. I can't. I can't. Okay. Like I, they gave me some information that I can't. You know, I can't really share. We'll see. We will see. Too. On the show today, we got Seth Galina uh, on the Two High Podcast. You can check out his podcast on the PFF Podcast Network. He's in Indianapolis as well. Got in late yesterday. Hung out with him a bit. He joins the show at the back half here. But to start. All mailbag, baby. Let's yeah. get into the mailbag. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> All right, here we Jesus. go. Uh, first question. This is from Mendoza QM on Apple Podcasts. Mike, what TV show quote would you get tattooed? Okay, because I have the tattoo. You should were we, screaming. Should we say yours first? We were, you were screaming at Eric Galco last night. Yeah. Steven Ruiz last night. This guy's the biggest office fan. He has the tattoo on his leg. I do have the tattoo on my leg. It says, well, actually, I can't cook, and I am starting a restaurant. After that, it says Max Cereal Shack. It's a deep cut from the office. It's on my thigh. I'll show it on the pod again one of these days. What Please would you don't. get on your leg or your neck? Okay, so if I had to, I'm not going to, obviously. But if I had don't to. Don't say obviously like that. <laughs> I'm not Austin Gale. <laughs> uh, no, it, it would be from Friday Night Lights. A lot of good quotes to pick from that movie. Obviously, I'm a big fan of that. I named my dog after <laughs> Tim Riggins. His name is Riggins. I grew my hair out when me and my brother were watching the show. He started wow. growing our hair out. Really? That's really? I didn't yeah. know that. <laughs> so... I would pro- Texas Forever, maybe, is a good one. That's good. Even though, like, I've never lived in Texas. I'm a big mm-hmm. fan of Texas. I'm an admirer. I'm a, I'm a, I admire Texas from afar. So Texas Forever. There you go. I don't know if I get another quote on me. I, at this point, I've been ridiculed by everyone in Indianapolis. Bears Blog Boys on Just Apple Podcasts. Just get the whole, like, episode down the... It's my back. Yeah. You know, a full <laughs> episode on my back would actually go pretty hard. I think, um, yeah, Bears Blog Baby on Apple Podcasts. I thought... Your take on trading Robert Quinn or Klomack was interesting. I like trading Roquan since it saves more money and probably net a first. What do you think? There's no way. Would someone trade a first for Roquan Smith? So this is his fifth. He's on the fifth-year option, right? I, I believe. I don't think anyone's trading a first for a linebacker who just could be With there an expiring for one contract, year. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So I don't think that's the case. But also, like, Roquan Smith and Matty Rufus' defense is a dream. Like, that is what you want. You look at what he did in Indy and how much Darius Leonard meant to that defense because of just the way it's schematically played, like a lot of cover two, a lot of – he's asked to cover a lot of ground over the middle of the field. Roquan Smith's that guy. Like, I think he's going to be a perfect fit. I think he's going to have a career year in this defense. And so when I talk about, you know, trading Robert Quinn, trading Khalil Mack, it's because those guys aren't building blocks for what is a championship roster, hoping to be a championship roster two or three years down the line. Because let's be real, it's not a championship roster right now. So that's two or three years down the line, those guys are going to be – either costing too much or on the downslide to where if you can get something back in return from them, what you get in return can be more than what they're giving you on that contract. So for Roquan Smith, though, he's that piece to a championship team. You're hoping to, you know, signing him, extension, whatever. Like he is a guy who could be a cornerstone for years to come. So I don't think trading him is where I would go. And like I said, I do think he's perfect for that defense. I think when we were having the conversation around trading Quinn or trading Mac too, it's like if they can find way to keep them both, right? It's the cap situation that they're in, right? You want Quinn yes. and Mac on your football team. It's not because they're bad football players. Yeah, it's, it's, it's more because yeah, yeah, it's like if they had a well-managed cap up to this point and they had $40 million in space or whatever and a lot to play with and a good roster, 
you're keeping Mac Absolutely. and Quinn. Like, you're definitely yeah. keeping those guys. But it's because of what they've done in years prior. All right, this is from Bear May 3 on Apple Podcasts. I've been fascinated by doubling up on positions of need. I thought the Raiders should have doubled up on receiver in 2019. The Eagles are in a prime position this year. Got two, Get two at 15, 16, and 19. What do you think? Do they go? What, 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 what do they double up on if they're the Eagles in this first round? My take on this. Not going to be everyone's take. They're going to double up anywhere. Cornerback. That's why I'm doubling up. Packers did it with Jair Alexander, Josh Jackson, and yeah, Josh Jackson didn't pan out, but you hit one of them and hit one of them big. The Bucks did it, not to the same degree, when they got Sean Murphy Bunting, Jamel Dean, same draft. And those guys were cornerstones to a Super Bowl run. So to me, if you're going anywhere, cornerback in this draft where you can get feasibly Andrew Booth, Trent McDuffie, add to that cornerback group, Darius Slay, that's hot to me. Yeah. That, that's a guy who Trent McDuffie could easily play the slot, even though he didn't at Washington. That is a guy whose skill set translates very well to the slot at the NFL. That, that's, a, that's starting to, with that defensive line, be a defense that I'd be excited about. And going to defensive backs in the first round, specifically cornerback for Philly, is not one I've done a ton of, but I do like. But the other thing I like with Philly is at the top of the second round, getting after safety. Because I think that's where it is the value of this safety yes. class after Kyle Hamilton will be at the top of the second round. I think that's another position of need that they have. You fit in a brisker with Booth and McDuffie. You really try and turn around that secondary for a Philly. I mean, I do think you can – You a lot of people can talk themselves into that. It is interesting that I really like the safety class, but – have not seen anyone besides Kyle Hamilton mocking the first round. Just, you don't see anyone. And I think that's wrong in my opinion. Really? Like, I think these guys are good enough to warrant consideration when you get to the back of the first round, especially considering the class and the strengths of it, that I, I think in this day and age, safety is getting more valuable. So I, I think we'll see some brisker in first-round mocks after this week. I think there, I think he'll remind people that it's not just Kyle, Sam, Kyle Hamilton in the safety class. I think Lewis Seen fell out of Dale Jeremiah's top 50. He seems to be tumbling a bit. But brisker is a guy that I think will firmly be in this top 40, top 50 type of player and potentially even in the back end of the first round. From Nick underscore W12 on Apple Podcast. Thoughts on Christian Watson, the North Dakota, North Dakota State receiver that Brett Coleman is consistently mocking <laughs> the top 15 of his mock drafts. Just, the no, range no, of outcomes. Number 12 only. <laughs> the range of outcomes for Christian Watson, uh, if you ask the right people, could be first round all the way down to day three. I, I think, like, Holmes, like, if he goes, as long as he go 12, he's going 100. And it's like, <laughs> no. But I, I, we went through Watson when we talked about that and, and Brett Coleman's tweet, but I, I did find this tweet by Ben Fennel very insightful to why I gravitate away from guys like Christian Watson, who's six foot four, 211 pounds at North Coast State. Looks, you know, physically dominant on tape at North Coast State. Like, he's mossing dudes, can jump high. He's probably going to test fairly well here at the Combine. But this tweet, Ben Fennel, six foot four, six foot five wide receivers who are between 200 pounds and 215 pounds. There has only been one Pro Bowler the last 21 years in that range. Really? One, A.J. Green, the only one. And A.J. Green was, like, a stud since his freshman year at Georgia and, and like, and did it against SEC competition. Yes. Yeah. Uh, like top, got drafted ahead of Julio Jones, you know. So it's just not a body type that is conducive to success being tall and skinny yeah. at wide receiver. Because one, it's tough to sink. And now Christian Watson, I think like that's why people are high on Christian Watson is because he can do that physically. He has that flexibility in his lower half to get off the line of scrimmage, to like stop on his uh, at the top of his routes and really like get low in his cuts. But at the same time, it presents a big strike zone mm-hmm. for cornerbacks. You think about you're going up against a six-foot corner with you know 32-inch arms. They have the leverage battle on you that they can bully. They can move you if they get 
if they're if you're shoulder to shoulder with that guy and you're the same weight, you know, 205 pound cornerback in the NFL, which a lot of the guys are 195 plus once you get to the league, that guy's pushing to the sideline. It's yeah. just very difficult to push back and really move the corner instead of the corner moving you when you are tall and skinny. So that, that, that's why uh, I worry about it. And actually, the Fennel tweet was about Drake London, who I think is going to show up bigger than that, 215 pounds. I'd be surprised if he's now he's listed like 215 as at USC, but I think he's going to be two, like 220. Yeah, I think he'd be about 220 here. This is from Jed Fire on Apple Podcasts. Why is Jamison Williams a better fit for the Browns than Garrett Wilson or Chris Olave? I'm not sure which one of us thought Jamison Williams was a better fit for the Browns. I think Baker needs good route runners and who can consistently get open. I think it's the speed aspect. It's like why I would, between those three, maybe gravitate towards Jamison Williams. Mm-hmm. And would it not be for engine? Now, if the ACL involves, I'd probably lean Garrett Wilson for them. But, like, speed plays immediately. And, yeah, they draft Anthony Schwartz to kind of alleviate that. But even one Anthony Schwartz, who's, to me, still a gadget player, ain't fixing your speed issues at wide receiver. Like, they, they couldn't go deep last year after – they traded Odo Beckham. They had no one who was getting open at that level of the football field. I know we said Olave can very much and is NFL ready, but like Williams is a different animal speed wise. I also think that receiving core in Cleveland is very young. And while all of us are consistently mocking receiver at 13, like I would not be surprised if not, I'd highly encourage the Cleveland Browns to also add veteran talent there because Donovan Peoples Jones, Anthony Schwartz, Jarvis Landry, I think maybe he's on his way out of Cleveland. Like I do think that yeah. you need to add veteran talent there, in my opinion. And this receiver class of Brainsy is actually really good. Like, be even beyond Chris Godwin, there are yeah. some guys you can pick up that can like come in and immediately start to create separation for Baker Mayfield, which is obviously they, this offense desperately needs. Yeah, they'd be they'd be a good fit for someone like Allen Robinson. And now he's not necessarily the vertical threat, and you still need that. Will Fuller, uh, MVS are probably like your two speed dudes in free agency, but I think they'd also need like a true one. So they need a lot. No, they <laughs> so that's kind of what I was getting at there. But I mean, even like a Michael Gallup, right? You bring Michael Gallup into that offense. I mean, they just need. I do think that they just don't want to be a completely every guy who's torn his ACL last year. Every, I just want only guys in the <laughs> Cleveland Browns uniform that have torn an ACL. That would be great. Before we start moving forward through this podcast here, gotta remember remember that this is the presenting sponsor of this podcast is actually Manscaped. Can I get a round of applause, everyone? Everyone here in Indy. Uh, today, I'm excited to announce Manscaped launched their no premium fucked. ultra collection. No, ultra premium collection. Excuse me. Believe it or not, it's not just for your private parts. I'm talking about leveled up hygiene routine with your favorite manly scent. This is an all-in-one skin and hair kit for the everyday man and covers you from head to toe, literally. Manscaped is trusted below the waist. Now trust them with the rest. Join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code PFF. This is one of the more tame Manscaped reads. Now that they are expanding to every inch of your body which you can only dream of hop in the shower and scrub it up dub that body with manscaped body wash lather your hair up with the two-in-one shampoo and conditioner to keep your noggin togging i don't even know what that means if your noggin's not togging though in 2022 you're not getting a lot of ladies i'll say that dry off and spray on the hydrating body moisturizer to reinvigorate your dry skin put on the manscaped deodorant for obvious reasons obvious reasons mike pop that manscaped lip balm on no one is out here kissing chapped up lips get dressed Getting dressed after is optional. Wear one great scent all day long. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. The power of attraction is now in a bottle thanks to Manscaped. I think what Manscaped needs to lean into next, honestly, because you're not bringing up, you know, there's there's cologne, right? There's this, like, added scent that, like, you know, when you're going on dates that people are attracted, you're not bringing up, like, hey, I'm head to toe Manscaped. That sounds, like, kind of intimidating. You know, you're not going to flex that necessarily. Yeah. 
it's kind of a unsaid thing. You don't really yeah. want to be going out. People, women would rather assume you're doing it yeah. than know you're doing you it. Want, it's a show, not tell yeah. sort of no, thing. No, I agree with that. I agree with that. Uh, on to next question here. This is from Todd is a boy who literally, I think, asks a question every single week. Love it. He's a diehard um, tailgate podcast fan. Who has gator. a better situation? He's a gator. You not just say tailgate podcast. I know. That was ridiculous. He's a gator. Todd is a boy. He's a gator. Todd is a gator. Who has a better situation going forward, Jaguars or Jets? Jaguars. Has to be. Better quarterback. I, I feel better about their cap situation. I, I, the, the coaching staff, obviously, I like Robert Sala a lot. I do think that Doug Peterson's no slouch, though. I, I, I like the Jaguar situation a lot more. Yeah, and I think it comes down to if you flip the quarterbacks, I'd flip my answer. But I feel that much strong, more strongly about Trevor Lawrence being good than I do about Zach Wilson being good. No. That's what it comes down to. Now, take those guys out of the equation – we can have a conversation, and yeah. I think it actually leans Jets then at that point in terms of that conversation. I would feel more strongly about that's a better roster, that roster's going places and has a better situation, but, like, QB still. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's still sure. a QB-driven league. It's from Tyler Fritz on Apple Podcasts. Rank the QB needy teams by who's the most desirable trade partners and most desirable destinations. Go ahead. Okay. QB needy teams, we I'll just I guess I'll name them yeah. off, and then if I miss one. Shit, I missed one. The, the number one <laughs> is Pittsburgh. Good receiving core, young receiving core, and they made the playoffs. You know, like this was a good team already with a bad quarterback. So your upshot, your upside is high with if you come in and ball out. So I think you got a good receiving core that has a number of different types of wide receivers. Now, the sort of thing dragging them down and why they're not why it's a conversation still, mm-hmm. Matt Canada. <laughs> you know, you got a no C that might not let you throw the ball down the field. So that you wish you didn't necessarily were walking into as a quarterback, but uh, nonetheless, there is still number one. Number two, Denver. Good receiving court, good roster. Offensive-driven head coach, Daniel Hackett, who I like as a, like a play caller and like offensive mind, that I think that is a quick path to success that you can see. New Orleans at number three, for obvious reasons. Now, no Sean Payton, no really receiving core, but again, a good roster. Almost made the playoffs last Need Michael year. Thomas back. Need yeah. him. Washington comes in at number four for me. The Commanders. Um, solid-ish wide receiving core there. You have more than enough weapons. Good enough offensive line. Pieces are there if you come in. The only thing I worry about is you know, offense play calling. Uh, Indy comes in at number five. Maybe they're not necessarily GB needy, but that's where they are. Then the Giants. Obvious reasons here, but I, I do like the Dable sort of factor and I think this wide receiving court could could look a lot better with a better quarterback um, so maybe they should have been higher they could be higher here very shortly with, with a good offseason Carolina comes in after them just bad O-line needs to be fixed receiving court is not bad but like you got Matt Rule trying to run the ball 30 times a game not a scenario you really want to be in as a QB and then dead last is everyone's dead last it's Houston Texans I've had this. I think I mentioned it on the PFF at the Combine show that we're doing every day this week. But Carolina, and as you outlined, one of the worst situations if you're going to be a new quarterback. That's why when you know some of the mock drafts, you have them taking a quarterback at six, especially the quarterbacks in this class. I just do think that that quarterback, if it's inserted immediately into that offense and has to play right away, is not necessarily destined to fail. But it's just going to be so much more difficult to develop in that offense versus. Yeah. Giving, getting an opportunity to sit behind a guy or whatever it may be. So I, I am worried at the idea of, like, a Malik Willis or, you know, these guys that have to be so much better in two or three years just getting thrown into, like, the literal fire 
that is to the Carolina Panthers organization and offense, etc. But we'll see how it goes. All right, from Ethan Waugh on Apple Podcasts. Can you break down your scouting process on a player from what you look for on tape to putting together the big board? Who's the messier roommate? So there's a two-part question. That is a two-part question. I think so far we've split the house enough to where I don't know if we've been able to determine a messy roommate. And also, you also were gone in Florida. Yeah. But so I'm far, not like, no dishes left in the sink. Yeah. You know, maybe it is me. It, it's probably, if you factor in my dog, it's probably me. Yeah. Because that is my dog's fucking disgusting. And yeah. he smells like death. <laughs> he's got, I mean, you got to no, use, use the breast spray in his bowl. You probably weren't using the breast spray in his bowl. You didn't tell me how to use breast spray in his bowl. You see me spray the bowl every time I and filled I up water. And I wish the worst thing that smelled about him was his breath. It's <laughs> just like legitimate fur. He is, it's, hard, yeah. it's hard to be around him. Yeah. Um, Messi's roommate's Riggins. That's, yeah, yeah, actually. <laughs> we, Riggins. We screwed that one up. All right, so scouting process, though. This one's so broad. I mean, you could so have an hour. Position you specific. Could be an hour long yes, it could be. But I, I'll just say the process that I go through is to identify what a guy's capable of and what, how he fares in the avenues at each position that I feel like translate to the NFL. So... I think we've talked about this before, but like wide receiver separation ability and then what he's capable of, you know, after the catch hands or like a lot of that stuff's icing on the cake, but like, can he get open? Um, Offensive tackle, like moving movement skills and size, like can the guy mirror a Von Miller at the NFL level? Is that something he's capable of? If it's not, we're kind of, we're, we're not, it's a non-starter. So like, I think identifying the areas that translate, and then what a guy is capable of, what is his high end, because that's what you can, you know, we were talking about with Seth, like every coach thinks they can get that high end. Yeah. And every coach thinks they can get a guy to do the high end every single time. And now it's not always the case, and that's why scouting process is so fun. If you, if you knew that was always the case, no one would give a shit about the draft. So <laughs> I think that's kind of the scouting process and like what I go into watching a prospect thinking about. I do think that Bucky Brooks has been on this podcast and has mentioned before that like so much of the scouting process is telling the decision makers what a player can do in the NFL. Capable. Not so much what he can't do and whatever. It's like what can this player do and what could he be? Because yeah. so much of it is a projection and like that's literally all you're trying to do. It's not when you should take him and all that stuff. Just tell me what he can do and then I'll yeah. make the decisions off of that. Yeah, because like, I have the buzzkill tweet every year that says just how many rookies ended up being good. Mm-hmm. It's far fewer than everyone thinks yeah. right now. I mean, you come out of the combine, and you're like, there's 150 players in this class I'd like to have on my team. Right? You know, like, you come out of it, and you're like, all these guys are going to be good. Yes. Perfectly Minty on Twitter. Thoughts, thoughts on Marcus Jones, the Houston corner, who also proudly discusses, every time I talk to him, his kick returning ability. He's one of Oof. the better kick returners in this class. He's not one of the better. The dude's the best kick returner yeah. in this class. Sadly, not a coveted skill as much anymore. But, like, as far as just return skills, he's like a tier one return in the NFL, most likely once he gets to leave. He's that good at that. A hashtag fun to watch player. Undersized though. I believe he's five nine, one seventy five, one eighty. Like that is slot corner only ish. And like I've even gone away from really tagging those smaller dudes as slot corners because slot corners turning into like glorified safety. Like you want you want a guy that can tackle there. You want a guy that can drop into the box and almost play linebacker there. Mm-hmm. And so the smaller guys are just kind of SOL. Like you just got to get bigger nowadays. Like. It, the amount of guys who are really at that size playing anywhere on defense in the NFL is so limited. And like I said, I think I'm even I'm gravitating away from those guys as even being slot options that, that I, I think maybe with the proliferation of 
like I said, the too high, Fangio, whatever stuff around the NFL, we were a lot of off coverage and where the outside corner, like maybe he can exist as an outside corner in one of those schemes, like a Darius Williams from the Los Angeles Rams because he is so, he's click and close, is so, so quick, so, so instinctive and like he's competes, is that guy that if he was six foot, 200 pounds, he'd be a top 10 pick sort of guy. Like that's, but is still behind the eight ball in that regard. But you're still coming in for his returnability, which is uh, fun to watch. Getting to some of the questions now on Twitter. This is from, uh, I believe, Zach DiCarismo on Twitter. He said, compare – or no, sorry, Russ W. What makes Drake London a better prospect than Traylon Burks? Ooh, we actually kind of get into this with – Seth a little bit. Seth a little bit. And that I, I think – with Drake London, you see, you just like watching his tape. You just like he looks like a basketball player. And I keep going back to that, and I think it's so important because you know getting off the line of scrimmage is getting past the guy on a basketball court and driving to the hole. Like that's mm-hmm. literally what it is. You'd have to make a guy, get a guy out of position, and then go past him. And to me, you see it with Drake London consistently being able to do that. Number of releases, whatnot, and was a slot in 2020. This year played primarily was outside. Leave ninety plus percent of his snaps. Like he was an outside X receiver, getting ten plus targets a game, winning, and not always winning. But like, even when he didn't win, he won at the catch point. With Traylon Burks, you just don't feel as confident in that part of his game. Now there's a lot to like. His acceleration for a guy that size is stupid good, and I think his physicality is still going to play at the next level. Like he is that level of explosiveness in a. 225 plus pounder that there's he has ways to win but you just don't see like when he's breaking tackles it's a stiff arm yeah and like a guy bounces off his legs drake london breaks tackles it's like spin move like shimmy shake he's got like a number of ways to do stuff shimmy shake shimmy shake so that's that's kind of the difference in my opinion you skip a lot of questions i did skip a lot of questions i'm kind of picking and choosing which ones i like the top ones are good okay fine maybe i will dive into the top ones it's my choice it's (laughs) my choice um, I will say, too, with so much, we were talking a little bit about this, Seth, too. We're previewing a really good interview with Seth at the back end of this show. But um, it's, it's how you win and where you're winning. Right? Yes. With Traylon Burke, such a high percentage of his production is on scheme stuff and, and stuff near the line of scrimmage, where Drake London is consistently winning at the intermediate and deep levels of the field. That is more valuable in the NFL, and that trans more translatable. Another question I got on here, which isn't in your questions that you think are good, but I, I'm interested in your answer. From Gus Johnson on Twitter, what traits do you personally overvalue in prospects? I think I would start with overvaluing highlight-level plays, highlight-level production against bad competition. I do that a lot. Okay. When you see something insane and you see a guy with a crazy release or you know beating a guy off the edge, and you're like, oh, my gosh, this is what this guy can do in the NFL. And then you find yeah. out that the person he's going against is now you know not in the NFL. Like We're, we're going to the USFL or wherever it is. Yeah. I do think that you can get caught <laughs> up in – players performing really well or doing things that you want to see in the NFL just against guys that legitimately won't play in the NFL. That's why the senior bowl is really valuable. Mm-hmm. Like you can go back and watch the players tape. And I think some of this with the sky Moore stuff, right? You watch sky Moore and like, yeah, he's like the shiftiness and all that stuff. But there are times where it's like, okay, that cornerback sucks. Yep. Like 
legitimately yeah, sucks. Yeah. Sucks relative to the NFL. So I do think no, I will you, value you, that. You could beat him. You could, you could get free release. With Seth, too, and I think if I had to speak, what Seth's answer would be, I think Seth would say, like, what he can do right now. You can sometimes overvalue, overvalue yeah. what can he do right now. And I think he did that a little bit with Justin Herbert. You're doing that a little bit with Charles Cross. And you care so much more about, like, what can he do tomorrow and less what he can do in two years. Because when you look at how these guys are actually drafted, they're drafted based on what they can do in two or three years, not mm-hmm. basically not what, what, what they can do right now. I think I overvalue, on the defense side of the ball, instinctive plays. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see an instinctive play, and I'm like, oh, that's sick. This guy is yeah. good. It's, you know, like, see Those a lot are fun of, to watch. Uh, they are. And it's like, oh, he jumped a route. Oh, like, and like a guy who can consistently do those, I think I overvalue because a lot of times, one, instinctive plays at the NFL level are not the norm. The offenses are like the guys who really get by on that, who have that level. You know, the Luke Keekleys of the world are, are an anomaly. It's just not quite as, it's just not as valuable because like, you know, schemes are more complex. Formations are more complex. You don't, you don't see stuff on tape a lot of times that you then can like Obvious immediately, tells, yes, yeah. exactly, immediately put into action uh, at the NFL level. So like, that's far more common in college where playbooks are way thinner and teams will run the same play like ten times a game. So to me, that's that's one of the biggest things where it's like I see those plays and I get excited because like I like to think of myself as instinctive. You know, athlete back in the day, and that's how I won to you, a degree. You are not an instinctive. I was an instinctive basketball player. Okay, you don't even know. You go watch my tape. <laughs> um, and that's like, that's something that I probably overvalue. Yeah. yeah. This is from Justin on Twitter. Is this one of the questions you think is good? Steven Renner. Steve said Renner got fired and brought back. What happened? I, want, I, I can't believe I've heard Steve this story that before, but how much can you even tell of this story? I, I'm going to tell the whole thing. All right, tell the whole thing. Uh, so, Neil, okay, I guess I want to tell the whole thing. You can't thing. tell the whole thing. I okay, know but I, I basically, this was 2016, possibly? I believe 2016 or 2017, one of those years. And it was like in the spring. It was not, um, not during football season, so I was not doing much. But there was a miscommunication <laughs> between Neil Hornsby and my like direct manager, whose name's Khaled El Said, who still does, who runs our data collection side of the business, basically, um, about what I was supposed to be doing. And I was listening to Khaled because he was my direct manager at the time. And basically, <laughs> the upshot of it was I didn't do what Neil thought I was supposed to be doing. And I got on the phone with him, and I was um, in the airport, right? I was in the airport when he thought when he. I had I had asked him if I could work from home that day, and my work from home was me driving to the airport at noon and going on a flight to Las Vegas for the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> and he fired me. If he's like, if you don't get back in the office, you're fired. Really? And, and you were in CBG, was like, the and I'm at the, the airport. airport. Literally, they're boarding the plane as I'm talking to him on the phone. He's like, you're not back in the office. I didn't tell him. I said I was whatever. I, I don't know what I said. <laughs> I was like, if you don't get back in the office and do this now, you're fired. And I'm like, well. <laughs> I, I just got fired. I'm, I'm getting up. How did you go? In, so I've never heard the part of, like, when you get to Vegas. Did you line it up? Or, like, what was the Oh, I had a great weekend. I mean, yeah, I'm not going <laughs> to let that ruin my Vegas trip. But, no, I ended up, like, sending an email. I, sent an, I asked Jeff Dooley, who was the editor, uh, managing editor at the time. I was like, dude, what do I do? Dooley, um, good guy, by the yeah, way. Great, also works great dude. At, works at the Washington Post now. Washington Post now. He's like, what do I do? He's like, you probably, like. He's like, reach out to HR and say what happened. Like, to give you your side of the story. Yeah. So that's what I did. I crafted an email to HR, got my, had a meeting on Monday, got my job back, and the upshot of it was I didn't have to go in the office anymore. So I got my job back and you, didn't have to go in the office anymore. You cheated your way into every opportunity. These emails to HR are such a privilege. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. 
fucking piece of shit. All right, this is from Greaser on Twitter, which is a great name on Twitter. Greaser said, in Renner's farthest throws tweet, Ritter and Zappi were the only quarterbacks, so Ritter of Cincinnati, Bailey Zappi of Western Kentucky, were the only ones to not cross their feet in the drop back. Is that good or bad? Does that mean anything? Yeah, I mean, you get a little more juice on a little crow hop, but not too much. Like, it's minimal with that, uh, throwing a football with that, uh, like a cross step like mm-hmm. that. So, yeah, like when you when a guy really rips it from a like a stationary base, more impressive, but only slightly. Here's here's how I would kind of rank the arm strengths of this class. Guy like pure ability to rip it. Number one, Malik Willis. I, I think that's obviously like that's a given at this point. Number two is tough though, because I think a, like the, the interesting thing about this class, a lot of these guys have strong arms, like. You have to get down to like I'm not sure any of the top guys. I think we'll get we'll get to it, but like I think of all the top guys, only one has a arm that's going to be averaged by NFL standards when he gets there. Maybe two. Um, so Malik Willis one. I'd go Sam Howell too. Now I know that maybe people are going to disagree, but I do think that he when he really lets it go, and he could do it on the move too he can put some juice on it. Like, he had a Hail Mary. The, the throw in that was, like, a 68-yard through the air Hail Mary. So, like, he put air under a damn near 70-yard throw. So, he's two. Carson Strong from Nevada, three. Matt Corral, four. Desmond Ritter, five. Bailey Zappi, six. And then Kenny Pickett's the only guy who I'd say, like, by NFL standards, probably an average arm. But even he is not questions about his arm strength. Yeah. You know, no one's like, oh, the Joe Burrow questions – you know, this ain't a Ryan, Ryan Finley situation. These guys have arms. Ryan Finley, San Diego State legend, I believe? Uh, NC State. NC State. No, who am I thinking of? Is Lindley. There another fin- oh, Ryan Lindley. Lindley. Ryan Lindley. There you yeah. go. Uh, a couple other questions here, and then we'll jump to the Seth Galena interview. A couple of fun ones towards the back end. You get to choose your broadcasting teams from the six characters listed below. You can randomize any two, but you have to select your Thursday night, your Sunday night, and your Monday night crew. From these six. Also, make Thursday Night Football more interesting. Cursing is allowed to drive Ooh. viewership. It's Rob Gronkowski, Pat McAfee, Marshawn Lynch, Ray Lewis, T.O., Philip Rivers. This is interesting. Okay. I do think that the pairing matters. I'm going to say you want Marshawn Lynch with e- – I don't know which broadcast he's going on yet. Marshawn Lynch with either McAfee or Rivers. Because Lynch is not – Lynch is a – you know, a color commentator 100%. And yeah. you need a guy that can actually chirp to be the play-by-play. I think Rivers and Lynch would be the comparison. And I'd honestly like that on Monday night. I'm going to go Lynch and Rivers on Monday night. I think, yeah, I think you need Rivers in there. Mm-hmm. Because he's, you need someone who's going to see the whole game. Yeah. So I think Rivers, and then I'd lean, T.O.'s just not interesting at all on the mic. No. T.O.'s not getting anywhere near this. And honestly, Barry, I'd bury like, Ray Lewis and T.O. together and just, like, yeah. call Sunday night a wash. He's just going to yeah. lose Sunday night, which is, like, not an ideal broadcasting crew. And Ray Lewis think, will have some funny quotes. I think though, Rivers and, and Ray Lewis could be an interesting combo. That's a combo I gravitate towards because the dichotomy of vastly different dudes. And, and Ray Lewis brings some energy to him that I like. That, no, like, the energy from dudes. Ray would be good. Yeah. I think for Thursday night with the swearing included, Gronk and McAfee is the combo. Gronk and McAfee would be great. Yeah. McAfee play-by-play, Gronk on the color. I think that would be the move yeah. I would do. Second question from Garrett Penchy on Twitter, by the way. Rank the bottom three in order of Super Bowl food preferences. The Taco Bell 12-pack, 
the mm. bundle box from McDonald's, which I don't know what's in the bundle box from McDonald's. Let me look up that bundle box. <laughs> You're looking up the bundle yeah. box? What is the, and then the KFC chicken fill-up, which I'm sure is just a bucket of chicken. The bundle box is a two Big Macs, two cheeseburgers, and a 10-piece McNuggets and four small fries. Only 10 bucks. That's Whoa. dead last for me. I'm going KFC chicken fill-up, Taco Bell 12-pack, and then the bundle box. Because you can't split the bundle box. So you each, me and you just each have a Big Mac together. What if you got a party like three or four? I'd go Taco Bell 12-pack, one. Bundle box, two. Chicken fill-up, three. Really? Yeah. Is because you don't like KFC? I, I don't like KFC. Yeah. KFC I, does stink. I, I, I really cannot believe we're obviously not getting a KFC sponsor anytime soon. But it's like... <laughs> Your entire thing is chicken, and there's probably a half dozen restaurants that are fast food restaurants that do chicken better than them that are not chicken restaurants. Yeah. Like, I would rather have a Burger King chicken sandwich than anything that comes out That's of That's fair, actually. It's a really good thing. And it comes out of KFC, which is insane to me. Like, if your name is KFC, that Kentucky chicken better be chicken. fucking hot. Like, Popeye's is the, like, if you're do chicken, it better be like Popeye's, mm-hmm. where Popeye's is solid all around. So blows my mind this question's interesting from Mike Malik on Twitter what if the NFL instituted the Madden award given to the most outstanding player I love that so we could stop having the conversation about like who's the most valuable and then yeah. like we have to give offensive player of the year to a player that yeah. isn't a quarterback so we're making up for the most valuable quarterback player being always a quarterback I am so tired of that so some some person mentioning Jonathan Taylor as MVP and then every analytics account in existence dunking on him being like do you know what value means yeah um, it's over it's, i think that conversation's done i have no interest in ever taking part in that conversation ever again so please keep the mvp add another award the madden award on yes the on madden. par with the mvp like the heisman i the like the madden that's yeah. cool i like that i think that's a great call about matt malik uh let's start a campaign for that so i can stop having the other conversation i'm interested you saying that what would your first move be in starting any campaign I just don't um, see that effort from Telling you. someone else. I was about to say, I was starting a campaign for the Madden Award. Like, what, you're going to send a fucking tweet? Like, no, I wouldn't even do that. Yeah, I don't think you would. I, I would like, hopefully someone else does it. Hugh Jackson foundation level of energy in that campaign. <laughs> I just don't think that's going to happen. That is the dream, though, is to yeah. get that Hugh Jackson CEO foundation CEO position where I just get $115,000 to do. This zilch. is from, and we'll close with this one, This, and then we'll get to the Seth Galina interview. Remember, Seth Galina, host on the Too High podcast. Make sure you check out his show. This is from Skin on Twitter, or Sicken on Twitter. Steve recently mentioned the Bill Polian story and mentioned Mike. Can Mike dive into that story? Was that I, where so you got this one I don't on know. Him? Didn't you get blocked by Bill Polian? Or no, was that someone else? That was Greg. Oh, that was who's the old guy? <laughs> Gil Brandt. Gil Brandt blocked <laughs> I me. I kind of put them together. Because yeah. I. I well, Gil Brandt blocked me after I dunked on. I didn't really <laughs> you didn't dunk dunk on. It was actually a very accurate tweet. It was you know that NFL hundred. You felt it was good. That NFL hundred list that was like the biggest flop of all time. Oh my god! That like they, they just completely. That. It was had this massive hype up. You had Chris Collins were sitting down with Bill Belichick to discuss football, and it ended up being. Sorry, Chris. Fucking a disaster. disaster. Well, they all it talked about like a historian. Yeah, like every like best running backs of all time. All of them were like. Running backs in the te- t- yeah. 1920s. Everyone's grandpa was tuning in, but, like, <laughs> dude, no one who's any new fan could give a fuck about. I need to pull up some of the names on that. Yeah. Madden, there was, all 100 so, team? Or no, what was it called? And so it was like Gilbrand Gil tweets out that, you know, he was uh, a decision. He, he was a, uh, ultimately in the, the, whatever, the committee that decided on the list. And I just quote tweeted it. And I just said, this makes a ton of sense. That's all I said. And then I got blocked because of it. <laughs> Dude, on the All-100 team, there was a guy on there with the running backs. That was Earl Dutch Clark. 
and like no hate towards Earl Dutch Clark. Okay, you didn't watch Dutch tape? Didn't watch Dutch tape. But this guy also, when you go back and look at like his pro football reference numbers, he played quarterback. Like, like literally <laughs> putting like different players at different positions in this bitch. Like linebacker yeah, was like that's... Bobby Bell. Like like who the fuck are these people? You did you should have done way more recency. And like the entire panel was people from like the 20, 1920s. Yeah. I don't know, not Chris it, from the nineteen twenties. It I know was, Chris was a little younger than that. But I, I don't know the Bill Polian story actually. I don't know. I, the Bill I've Polian never interacted with Bill Polian. I know that he hates Steve though. Oh, does he really? Yeah, I don't know why, but interesting. So maybe. I think Steve has told me it. They were doing like a meeting and Bill Point, like this is when PFF was still trying to sell to the NFL teams. Like it yeah. wasn't until I believe 2018 that PFF officially sold to all 32 teams. I think yeah. the last two teams to buy into PFF were Tampa Bay and Washington. And in that whatever time, they were in a meeting and Bill Point apparently was like just like confronting every move that Steve made with like yeah. this is trash. Like, <laughs> and I think um, you know he had a negative attitude towards analytics. How about positive attitude towards analytics? The Denver Broncos were at the GM uh, or the GM uh, George Pat- Patton. Payton Patton and uh, Nathaniel Hacker talking about technology and like adopting numbers and analytics. And then someone mentioned like, okay, like what technology are you guys leveraging? He's like, we want our coaches using PowerPoint. And I was like, fuck. <laughs> no. Yes, I swear. So like, dude, the, the Denver Broncos are like adapting to the times and really introducing technology. And they're like, yeah, instead of like writing things down, we're using PowerPoint, which yeah. is, you know, yeah. baby steps, baby steps. I mean, you had, who was the Falcons coach? Who? Dean Pease. Mm-hmm. He was like, I still write down everything. And I was like, I don't know if that's the flex you were meaning it to be. You know, like, if you're writing things down in 2022, you're probably losing a lot of it. Yeah, it is something that you're almost working at PFF, you take for granted people's competency in terms of, like, te- technology usage. And, then, like, you see these teams, and they're just like, I mean, like, think of, like, your dad and how capable he is at using technology. Whoa. That's, <laughs> that's your average NFL head coach. Yeah. My dad's technology usage is actually paramount. But uh, <laughs> let's get to this interview with Seth Galina. We, he joined the show in person, one of the few times he's been on, on this podcast in person. The only other time was in the Senior Bowl the first time we met him, and he said Justin Herbert can't play. So I don't know yeah, if he Yeah, so we're going to get up. him to say every quarterback in this class can't play. <laughs> let's get to Seth. Now joining the show, PFF analyst Seth Galina, all the way from the neighbors of the North, Canada. Excited to have you in Indianapolis. This is your first combine, isn't it? Yeah, this is my first one. I'm really excited uh, to be here and to hang out with you guys, really. It's That's all what we're supposed you to do sound here, like it. Yeah, you sound freaking absolutely <laughs> enthralled. It's all sponsored also by Pink Drink at mm. Starbucks. The first time I've ever seen Mike Renner order it, and is it good? It looks just like strawberry milk. Is it not just strawberry it's milk? Based, it's not healthy for sure. It's I think it's like a Starbucks refresher and coconut milk and strawberries, but it's, there it's any delicious. Caffeine it's, or yeah, anything? It's, what's the caffeine what, what? situation? It's got caffeine, yeah. That's why I was I woke up this morning and I'm like, I want knee caffeine, obviously. But I'm also like, a coffee sounds like a grind to slug through. This is fantastic. But it's yeah. not warm. And I, I don't know. I'm not like a big like ice drink guy like you guys. I, ice I ca- caffeine. Jesus. But um, it's not that warm that you guys should be going with ice stuff like i, I gotta have a round. regular hot coffee this morning i don't think so i don't think so austin's get, a year-round ice i'm guy. a year-round iced coffee guy oh, i'm man. not but How did I agree let's get into this class by the way off of the <laughs> starbucks pink drink here you i think have you were one of the first people that i remember coming out and saying charles cross is this top offensive tackle in the in the nfl draft the mississippi state offensive tackle that now is like some people's offensive tackle three offensive tackle four daniel jeremiah yeah. of nfl network has him behind trevor penning at this point i thought the big three right it was gonna be icky Aquanu, evan neal and charles cross as these guys that everyone's considering top 10 top 15 players now you're seeing cross start to fall what do you feel like some of the reason for that is, right? Is it because he's not going to test like a Neil or an Aquanu? Is that like, or Penning, right? Penning's expected to be this athletic freak. Is it all that or, you know, what's your thought there? Yeah, I think for me it's the athletic testing. 
and I'm like I come with it come with come at it obviously from maybe a different angle as like a former coach where I'm like hey this guy Charles Cross has impeccable technique like I think he's the most technically refined tackle in the draft right now his 2021 season is is basically perfect right especially from a pass pro perspective so it's like I understand why he's falling but to me you have to put him in the tier one group mm -hmm. um, with um, like the two others you said from NC State uh, Equanu and um, Evan Neal from Alabama Penning for me probably more of a tier two guy I certainly understand why he's rising at the draft boards because the height weight size thing is yeah. is is pretty good obviously but to me cross I mean the 20 now the issue with cross is like the 2020 cross is not very good but the 2021 cross is is legitimately a, a five-star tackle prospect so I, to me he's He's number one. What are your thoughts on the criticism of like Mike Leach tackles and the history of air raid tackles going to the NFL when it's just so different, it's just visually and like what they're asked to do compared to what they're going to be asked to do in the NFL? So I, so this is my theory, and I have no data to back uh -oh. this up. <laughs> but when I watched the 2020 tape, I noticed that there was classic Mike Leach o-line splits which is very yeah. wide right they yeah. try to you know i think the idea was back in the day and still is for the mike leach teams and how mummy and all these air raid guys like we're gonna spread our o-line out so that we put them all we we spread the d-line out and get them further away from the quarterback but the issue is that you put all your individual offensive linemen on islands by themselves and you saw that in 2020 and he was just getting beat all the time and i think again i don't have the data with it but i think they cut down the splits and it helped a lot more in terms of being able to communicate with his guard that's next to him and they were really awesome i thought in passing off stunts and stuff like that and just helped him like be in a more um kind of more natural tackle position i think it helped seth um, i'll but, tell you what you don't have the data for that but at the combine you can ask him you can ask charles <laughs> Cross, like, charles hey did they cut down the splits this year do you think that helped i think that would be a great question i'd love to see you do it Oh, right, thank you. Okay, I'm going to write this down. I can't put wait. It in my, I can't you wait. put it in my Google Calendar, the, please. The, the, other thing, the other thing I'd highlight, and it's like what you find out about the evaluation process, specifically about the combine, too, is so much of the evaluation is projection and what this player can be, right? Like, so few people in this process bring up what Charles Cross or any player is right now. No one cares what they are right now when you talk to people here in the draft. It's like, I care about what he could be in three years. I, I, have this, I have this issue where it's like, oh, well, like it's the potential issue, like potential. Who, this guy can potentially be blah, blah, blah. When it's like, well, no, just because, in my opinion, Cross is like already a, a pro-ready mm -hmm. prospect doesn't mean, he, doesn't mean that's a bad thing. Yeah. Like, we're trying to get guys to play in the exactly. NFL, right? Exactly. Like, exactly. that's a good thing. Um, and I, it's not, not to say that I, I have issues with the other guys. Um, you know, I have whatever balance issues in two different ways with, with the NC State guy and the Alabama guy. But at the same time, they're, to me, in the Tier 1 group. And, like, let's say the Jaguars are the team that's going to take a tackle. Mm -hmm. You take one of them, I'm cool with it. Like, to me, it's like don't get overconfident with, like, your individual evaluation yeah. of the player. Figure out who's in the Tier 1 of the position you need. And go get one. Talking to Nate Tice last night, whose dad was Mike Tice, who's an offensive line coach in the NFL for a very long time, he brought up how a lot of coaches, and, he, and, and Nate has admitted in scouting departments as well, how a lot of coaches will say, give me this player, and what I can turn him into in three years will be insane. And you know, he said he mentioned that about his dad, about a handful of players. And I was like, what percentage of coaches, like your dad, say that same thing? He's like, all of them. <laughs> Every <laughs> single coach thinks they can turn a Trevor Penning, an Evan Neal, or an Ike Iquanu into this like 10-time All-Pro. Like Every single one. I think that's the balance that you have to strike with like your coaching you know coaching staff and obviously your scouting department telling you what he is now and the coach is saying what he can be in four years when i saw renner play flag football this summer 
play quarterback. I was like, give me 15 years. <laughs> and we got ourselves And I can maybe start on a high school team. <laughs> now, uh, let's, get, let's talk about the quarterback class, though, since you're a former quarterback coach. Current flag football quarterback. I had well. one Current more question on the OT class, if I could. No, okay. you can't. Perfect. Okay, no, go ahead. What do you uh, Well, there's a lot of buzz here in India about Ike Kwanu potentially yeah. being this number one overall pick. I know we talked a lot about Charles Cross. What are, you know, in your in your view, what are the positives with Ike Kwanu and what are the negatives? And and you obviously see it as Cross, Neil, Aquanu. I think right so, now. yeah. But what, what do you think is vaulting him up all the way to the number one status? And then what are your kind of your pros, cons on him? I mean, I, I feel like I'm kind of an ass for saying this, but I do think like his mentality, his demeanor kind of vaults him up. You, you put on the tape and you're, you're excited. You're not an ass for that. I buy into that. Yeah, you, but you're excited to watch. Fun to watch. Ike Aquanu's tape. Right? Yeah. It's great, especially yeah. uh, against the run. I mean, uh, you know, as a run blocker. I think as a pass pro guy, and it's funny because I talked about balance between the two of them. I think with Evan Neal, the balance issues start maybe with his feet getting kind of tangled up a little too much. And with Equan, it's more of, I guess it's more of an upper body thing where I feel like in his pass sets, he'll like lean on guys too much, which is like, okay, yeah, you can get away with it and you're playing against like a Virginia defensive end or whatever, but maybe that's not going to be possible um, at the next level. So, but two things that are very fixable, which is why, again, I don't, I don't, I don't have them that far below cross. I just, man. I couldn't get enough enough across his tape when yeah. I watched him. Um, so yeah, to, to him, to me, he's just the cleanest prospect. But when you talk about height, weight, size with Neil and and Aquanu, I mean, psh, potential, right? That's yeah. the word again. Yeah, it is. All right, so quarterback class. You had one of my favorite tweets on this quarterback class, and it did some numbers. You said every quarterback in this class is QB three, and I think I, that's very accurate. Fifty likes, and, and I'm <laughs> yeah. twenty four retweets, two thousand likes. Actually, I, I might even go so far as to say they're QB four <laughs> in this like in a normal year and it's, so one who is your quarterback one in this class who would be the guy that you would take first gun to your head if you're literally forced to and two where would they slot in last year's class where you got trevor lawrence zach wilson justin fields trey lance mac jones going all in the first round i think for sure you're below fields and lawrence probably also lance and i wasn't a huge zach wilson guy and mac I still don't know. I still don't know anything about Mac. I, honestly, even after a year, I'm still not sure what, what's going on with him. But um, so, Place like QB three or four or something like <laughs> yeah. that. Okay. Um, but I think that <laughs> I've been gaslit by uh, our friend, who I think is going to be on your podcast, Stephen Ruiz, into believing Malik Willis is QB one, <laughs> just because we both of us have been burned by looking at quarterbacks who are like super athletic and maybe don't know how to quote unquote play quarterback and like. Uh-oh. <laughs> no, no, don't say it. <laughs> and, like, have issues in terms of, like, hey, finding the right receiver and getting the ball to him accurately. Though I think Willis is, 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 is relatively accurate. But then it's like, I, Steven keeps saying this to me, that we're, we might be in a post-processing world where it's like, hey, just take the – just like every other position, take the guy with height, weight, speed, and we'll figure it out later. Maybe the NFL has created an environment on offense schematically where you can just pl- plug and play a player – to a certain degree like we're not trying to fit them into like under center seven step drop everything's timing base blah 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 like we can get away with guys and 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 like a josh allen where we just put him in the system for two years Mm -hmm. just let him grow and then if it if it 
if he figures it out, then you have this unbelievable quarterback. The, the height, weight, speed conversation, too, is like always the prioritization in the first 20, 30 picks. So I, like, that's the only area of the draft where you're getting elite height, weight, speed combinations, guys that have like historical success in the NFL. So that's why when you do think about busts, right, it's always these guys that never met their potential, but you're only drafting those types in those early rounds because that's the only place you can really find them. I wouldn't say only have success it's the guys who end up being elite players like you said there you don't have too many elite players who don't have an elite Fair. physical okay, trait yeah. in some but, way shape or form. but not a quarterback though yeah that's, that's the that's thing, thing. Mm-hmm. like that's drew Brees is not an elite trait besides like accuracy and then process so that's, that's always been kind of like its own evaluation but maybe that's changing is what you're saying so where would they fall though in the year prior to that would you put any of them ahead of burrow herbert Tua? a <laughs> uh the Tua thing is funny to me because I, I feel a little weird because I, I, I think I, I, when Tua came out and he was still like behind Hertz and everyone was like, oh, you better watch out because this guy that Alabama has is. And then we just all believed it. Like, this was it. This yeah. was the guy. And then he threw the touchdown in the national championship game. And we said, it's over. This is the number <laughs> one pick. And then, then you know, the, the tape wasn't as good as I, when I went back and watched it, you know, that offseason. I was like, you know, the tape is like, okay. Yeah. I think I thought Mac Jones' tape was a lot better. He graded better. He yeah. graded better, and I and I running the same offense um, with you know similar surrounding talent. Like I think he was just better. He was more accurate. He got to the got to the right receiver quicker, and to his stuff was just like okay. Obviously, we can go and 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 retroactively say that Justin Herbert was like this unbelievable quarterback at Oregon. We all missed something. I don't even believe that. I just think he got better. Mm-hmm. I think there was whatever issues there were at Oregon to, that caused them to not great as well that caused him to have all these draft analysts say he's not a to say he maybe can't do something yeah yeah um so i don't want to like retroactively go back and just say well he clearly was amazing mm-hmm. so you know obviously behind burrow burrow was number one no yeah. matter what so then yeah maybe i probably i might i might have had like a picket in front of herbert and tua it's because Again, I go back to, like, aesthetically, what do I look for in a quarterback? Here's a guy who can, who can read routes over the middle of the field. Yeah. You know, with, with Willis, you're hoping that eventually he figures it out because that offense is so spread and vertical, yeah. you don't get a lot of routes out of the middle of the field, which you assume you need in the NFL. But, again, that goes back to my point. Like, you look at Rodgers the past two, three years under the floor, they don't really target a lot of routes over the middle of the field. Um, when you look at their heat maps, it's really outside the numbers. So it's like, well, I mean, I know that's Aaron Rodgers, but like, oh, maybe we can create an offense for these guys. If, if Aaron yeah. Rodgers is, is allowed to do that, then maybe we should give that to the pro style offense in the NFL is changing to what your quarterback is good at. Yes, like, exactly. It's not, it's not, it's not, hey, he has to, like you said, the seven step drops and all that stuff. It's what can he do? And we're going to run a lot of what he can do so he doesn't play like shit. It's pretty much what they're trying to do. And that's made it less of a developmental league. And it's like, he can play right away as long as we don't ask him to do this, this, and this. And now there are some quarterbacks like Burrow and some of these guys that have this processing and this accuracy that you can win with that you can run a very multiple, diverse offense. But it's well, like, that's the crazy thing with, with Herbert is you put him in, you know, they go and hire Joe Lombardi, who was coaching the Saints for all those years. You put him in the Drew Brees offense, and he's doing stuff like, I mean, I don't want to say it, but, like, he's kind of doing stuff like Drew Brees did. Like, he's that, he's that good of a processor. So if you have the guy, go put him in that offense and then let him cook. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you don't, if you have Jalen Hurts, you can say, hey, we can make the playoffs without throwing over the middle of the field. Yeah, yeah. Right? I say with Lamar Jackson. I mean, you can just do all that stuff, which I think is, is so much better for the league. I want to get to the wide receiver class. We were in a conversation last night that I thought was interesting about Drake London, and you watched two different out routes, two 12s that <laughs> you were like, this is why he's my wide receiver yeah. one. Two plays in. I thought it was an interesting conversation, though. Well, so, like, and again, it goes down to aesthetics. It's like, what do I, li- do, what do 
I like? Or, like, what do, if I was playing receiver, um, you know, I had two catches for 25 yards in my last slide game, but okay. um, if I was... <laughs> Let's see the tape. <laughs> if, you know, if I was playing receiver, like, what, what's the type of receiver I would be looking for or want to coach or whatever? And he had two different... Oregon State game against press. Inside release to run an out route against press. So he, he gets a hard inside release, gets up the field. Now the, the corner is trailing him. And what he does the first time is try to like put the brakes on and go underneath the corner, let the corner kind of run by him, and then he runs to the out. And the corner kind of grabbed him, and they got a DPI call, so it was all good. Like, they got the 15 yards or whatever. But a couple plays later, or maybe a drive later, gets pressed. He's running the same route against press, and he says, okay, well, I don't – like, yes, we got the DPI call, but I want to catch – I want to catch football here. Like, I want to make a play yeah. for my team. So, hard inside release, DB on the, on the trail. And he says, instead of bursting underneath, I'm going to give him a little shimmy. I'm going to stay on top of him, give him a little head shimmy, shake. head shake, and then get to the out. And I was like, okay, here's a guy who understands that there's not just one way to break off. A, his releases, he has a few different releases. And mm-hmm. B, he has a few different break points. And, like, he's also, like, clearly really good. Um, so, like, that's my type of guy. And, and that conversation around Drake London, right, and we were having this, we were talking about this last night, you know, about how he separates and how he can win in different ways. It's just, like, levels of intricacy in draft coverage that you just don't get to because it's become so much of a height, weight, speed thing. Like, how yeah. fast is he going to be? Is he a Mike Evans comp? Can he separate the next level because he's this big body receiver? But when you actually turn it on, you actually are looking at what he can do. I do think that's where, like, the coach's mindset versus the scout's mindset versus the media's mindset all kind of shifts. That's a, that's a great segue into what I was going to ask, which is you hear about – I actually got asked this by Phil Perry from uh, NBC Boston yesterday, Good and job. it kind of put me on the spot. <laughs> Where you hear about like his strengths and weaknesses, and you're like, "Wow, how is he different than Nikhil Harry coming out?" Because that was Nikhil Harry's strengths and weaknesses. So, how is he different than Nikhil Harry coming out? I think their grade, their PFF receiving grade against press is like 30 points different. Oh wow! It's something like Nikhil Harry, as um, in his last year, had like a 65 grade against press, and like London is like 90 something or 80 something. So it's like the other thing too is if you look at Harry's production, I remember we were calling this out a ton. It's like 60 percent of his yards came on throw, you know, throws that were five yards or fewer from the line of scrimmage. Like Drake London was winning down the field. Like yes, I, I I think people have to understand this, and I remember looking at the numbers after the Giants drafted Kadarius Tony last year. Like we want we want to believe that you will you can draft people who can ta- can catch under five yards and create first downs every time mm-hmm. and it's like literally like the yards after catch on throws under five yards is like 1.2 yards mm-hmm. you know what i mean it's so it's so small like you if you're gonna f- find these like kind of smaller receivers i mean london's obviously a big receiver harry a big receiver but it, when i think about those type of receivers that get drafted Tavon austin you know uh it's calvin austin this year mm-hmm. right um from memphis like those guys like you have to be so good and you really have to be a real – you have to be Brandon Cooks, yeah. who's a real receiver who can run all sorts of routes. Because, yeah. like, those guys who catch short short passes, like, that, that doesn't yeah. exist. My, like, Mike also brings it up, too, it's like there's only one of those players on every team. You know, you're know, you not going to have, like, yes. four of those dudes. Yeah. You're not going to have four <laughs> of those guys who are like, yeah, we're going to scheme him a bunch of you know, screens this year, and we got four of those same types. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's a difficult role to play, and there's only one in an offense, if it even is in an offense like that. I, and I think to me, physically, to go back to the Harry versus London, because – London was like former basketball player. To me, he's like an off guard. Like he's like a wing who can like drive. Whereas Kill Harry would be like a power forward. Like he's not a guy who's going to get around you driving. He is a guy who's going to try to play right through you. And that's to me is the big difference that like playing right through guys doesn't exist in the NFL. To me. One of the guys I wanted to bring up because I think he doesn't get a lot of pub right now because of the injury is George Pickens. 
who when you put on the 2020 tape yeah. it's pretty good mm-hmm. okay I, I get a good another receiver example here let's go so they're playing against Mississippi State 2020 they're getting cover two kind of a, a version of cover two I think it's from a three high safety like but whatever so he's got to get by the corner who's like squatting not it wasn't like a hard like physical corner but he was squatting anyways and he's running an in break at like 12 yards or something and the corner's at five so what a lot of receivers do, what Seth Galina does when he plays against a press corner is like, oh, you want to press me at five and my route's at, supposed to break at 12? Guess what? I'm breaking at six. Mm-hmm. Like the second I get any type of physical contact, <laughs> <laughs> mentally, physically, spiritually, any type of contact, any type of um, stress against me, I'm cutting that shit short. Mm-hmm. So you see him, first of all, get off the line of scrimmage, get face-to-face with the DB, use a nice move, hand use. There's two different types of hands, right? And we're talking with receivers. There's catching the ball hands, and there's literal hand usage to get a DB off of you. Mm-hmm. Great hands. So he does this about six yards, gets a DB off of him. And then instead of, you know, being being lazy like me, gets and like cutting landmark. the red up, he gets to his landmark. He explodes past the DB, gets to his landmark, and then that's a nice cut. And it's like, it's, this is dumb. This is like stupid to like focus on these one things. I don't think but it like, is. I, I don't think but it I is. see these one these routes. And I'm like, okay, that is a receiver route. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean like like a guy like maybe I don't know Garrett Wilson who maybe not is not there technically as a receiver can never get there. No, which is why he's still gonna go mm-hmm. top fifteen or whatever. And, and I, it's not it's not you know I mentioned that like this is what you don't see this in draft analysis. You don't see this so much height weight speed. I think that is still being discussed in these front offices. That's yeah. still being discussed of what they're doing. I think the other part of this is like, okay, I know he can do that now. I want someone who could do something insane. Yeah. You know, I want someone who could do, you know, be Calvin Johnson in the NFL. And like, well, especially when you're focusing just on like the first 32 picks, right? That's where like 90% of media coverage is. But when you look at day two or day three, you are picking more up of those guys who you know, you know can like fit into an offense immediately. Yeah, when I, I think the biggest compliment I could pay George Pickens is that when I watched his tape, I thought he was like 215 pounds. And I go back and he's 200. Like he, kind of like Jamar Chase where it's like, that's how, that's all. Like he plays a lot bigger than that. He's got the mentality. Um, he's he's a he's a little bully at receiver, which I like. Yeah, nice. he literally fought a guy and got kicked out of the yeah. game too. So. Yeah. He's an actual bully. Yeah. <laughs> Seth, this has been fantastic. Really appreciate the time. Uh, we'll have to get you back on the show more often when you come down to the, to the states. No, I'm good. <laughs> this is my last outing here. <laughs> See you guys. That's going to do it for this episode of Tailgate. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Follow us along on YouTube as we go. Uh, I think we're going to have another episode come out tomorrow. We're just going to continue to churn these puppies out while we're here in Indianapolis lighting it up. Until next time, Austin Gale, Mike Renner, Tailgate.